10 years ago, before children, I mean, children existed, but my children, <laughs> Debbie and I had a holiday, and this was back in the day when we could go on a city break, when, you know, you could actually walk around the place and not have anyone complaining at you about how far it was, and were we nearly there yet, and when's our next meal, and well, I sometimes was asking when the next meal was, but we went to New York, New York City, went to Manhattan, which was just like, it was the best holiday I've ever had, I absolutely loved the place, um, just the incredible skyline and culture there. Felt really at home, actually. One of the ones I really enjoyed was that we went to Central Park one day, and I hadn't realised before we went, but in Central Park there's a, a mosaic tribute to John Lennon. It was actually just, just a few hundred yards from where John Lennon was tragically murdered in 1980. And the day we went, it just happened that there was quite a, a small crowd gathered there, probably 20, 30 people. And they'd set up with a couple of guitars and a, a bongo drum or something and a keyboard. And they were just singing Beatles songs together. And it turned out it was actually the anniversary of George Harrison, uh, George Harrison's death. Now, George Harrison is the best Beatle. That's why one of the reasons my son is called George, because he's just one of my favorite. I just love, love George Harrison, love his music. Not so keen on his theology. But he, he just, he's just someone who really inspired me in terms of music and and so here we were in, in Central Park and all these guys were just gently, happily singing Beatles songs together. I actually found it, as someone who is classically a bit of an emotional Brit, I found it really emotional. Um, I'm not a crier, normally. I'm not someone who, who gets easily sort of emotional about things. But I had this sudden realisation that I'm three and a half thousand miles away from home and there's a gang of complete strangers singing songs written by a gang of Scouse lads who grew up less than a mile from where I live in Liverpool. And it just suddenly, it just, it just kind of felt really special to me. In fact, where I live now is literally 1,200 yards from George Harrison's home when he was a kid. And I just had this weird sense of emotion and almost pride well up in me. Like, these, these four kids, just local lads, cheeky troublemakers, actually, some of them, managed to actually have such an impact on the world as we know it. They pretty much conquered the world in, in the musical sense. And I just love that about Liverpool. It's always been something I've been quite, you know, I'm, I'm somebody, I'm kind of an evangelist for Liverpool. I love anyone I meet who's not from Liverpool. I will talk the hind legs often uh, about Liverpool. I don't know many people with hind legs um, thinking about it, but never mind. Don't know where that came from. Anyway, but I've read and I've studied and listened to and watched so much about the Beatles because for me, it's a passion. It's one of my... One of my biggest sort of um, one of my biggest passions in life is, is music, and I love the Beatles in particular. And I love how they went from being this gang of lads, you know, John Lennon with a little ragtag uh, bunch of uh, of lads playing skiffle music in a churchyard in in Walton, just a short way away from here. And on that day, he met Paul McCartney for the first time. And over the next seven, eight, nine years, they went on to record some of the most celebrated songs in history. You know, they sold in America 1.6 billion singles. Isn't that incredible? And that, that was, that's a stat from five or six years ago, so it'll be even more now. And do you know what? The more I read about the Beatles, the more I study them, the more I sort of invest in that passion, the more connected I feel to the music, if that makes sense. I, I kind of feel like I almost get to know them a bit. And the music takes on a fresh meaning because I, I start to understand a bit about their story. So little, little things like this. I don't know, everyone knows the song Hey Jude? Classic song, 
good old sing-along. Did, did you know that song is actually written by Paul McCartney? And he wrote it for Julian Lennon, John Lennon's son. And he wrote it for him to cheer him up when John Lennon divorced from his wife, Cynthia. So Paul actually wrote that song as a kind of, look, I'm really sorry you're going through this tough time. Hey, Jude. He called him Jude in the song just for lyrical ease. But that song was a, a kind of, you know, come on, mate. I know the world's on your shoulders, but, you know, you've got it. You're okay. And I just love little tidbits like that. The more you learn, the more connected you feel to them as, as people. And so the Beatles story is this story of how four normal Scouse lads, down to earth, pretty unremarkable fellas really, left behind a legacy musically and culturally that transcends geography, time, culture. And it bears repeating, it bears celebrating. And that day in, in Manhattan, it just kind of hit me. It was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm so far from home, and yet I'm so close to home at the same time. And now here comes the cheesy preacher's link. <laughs> as big as their impact has been, as big as the Beatles' impact has been, 1.6 billion records sold in, in America, they will never, ever come close to another down-to-earth man from humble beginnings who went on to shake the world. You know, it's a story of a Jewish carpenter born in remarkable circumstances but to unremarkable parents who lived and died 2,000 years ago and rose again. And these 2,000 years on, he's had billions of followers, billions of worshippers, and he's still as controversial and relevant a figure today as he ever was. And I'm talking, obviously, about Jesus Christ. And John Lennon once said this, talking about the Beatles, we're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity? Well, I've got news for John Lennon. <laughs> I think we know the answer to that one. Jesus isn't going anywhere. Jesus will outlast the Beatles and has outlasted the Beatles and always will outlast the Beatles. Because, you know, that's the key difference between the Beatles, who I love, and, and Jesus. Because Jesus' story is one that continues today and forever with a living relationship. You know, I can, le- I can re- read about the Beatles all I want. I can listen to their music every day if I want to. I can watch every documentary. I can read every book, watch, look at every photograph. But unless Paul McCartney suddenly joins my friendship circle, I'm never going to get to know them personally. Even though the normal fellas from my hometown, I'm not going to get to know and love the Beatles as friends. But with Jesus, I can read about him. I can study him. I can know him today. And his life and his words are recorded for us in, in Scripture. Scripture which has sold far more copies than the Beatles have sold records. But also, he is alive. His spirit lives in us today. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus goes to heaven, but he sends his Holy Spirit, his ongoing presence. And I can know Jesus personally today. Jesus is as present and active today as he was 2,000 years ago when he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And the story of Jesus is one that needs telling and retelling and retelling and retelling. And we are privileged to have a set of really reliable historical accounts of his life and his ministry to chew over and to read. And you know, I believe when we read them, when we study the life and ministry of Jesus closely, guess what happens? The same as when I I study and and, 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 uh, put time into my hobby of the Beatles, I feel closer to him. But it's actually, it's a living closeness, a relationship. As I spend time studying him, as I spend time praying to him and worshipping him, it's precious time well spent. And so that's why today, as a church, we're starting a new 
preaching series and we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark. We know there are four gospel accounts, four stories of Jesus' life in the Bible. We've got the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We're going to study Mark. And you know why, why are we studying the gospel? I mean, surely we're Christians. We all know about the life and time of Jesus. We know the famous stories. Why, why bother spending this time going over old ground, as it were? Well, do you know what? Jesus promises, doesn't he? That what will he bring? He'll bring life in abundance. I believe when we spend time really studying Jesus closely, there's a nourishment and a refreshment and a joy that comes as we feed on his words and his wisdom. And do you know what? It'll challenge us as well. You know, when we preach through a whole book of the Bible, we do it because we, we, we chew over every word. We don't avoid bits. You know, some, some churches will go to and they'll preach through a book and then they'll think, well, I don't know about that passage. We'll, we'll skip over that one. Actually, we don't. We want to go through it. We want to go through the challenges. We want to go through the hard stuff. Jesus said some pretty difficult things. And we want to grapple with them. We want to wrestle with them as Christians because they are the words of life. Jesus was a controversial man. He was frank. He was honest. He was incredible. And he had something to say about almost everything. And we can read those and we've studied them. And as we do that, it's going to help us to grow as Christians. And you know, it's also important because this is good news. The gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus is good news. That's what gospel means. And who gets tired of hearing good news? I just heard good news this morning. Seb, is he Seb in here? Has he gone out? just left the room but Seb just told me that he's been he's been working in Liverpool um sorry working in London commuting from Liverpool to London being away four nights a week he just told me this morning Chris guess what I'm gonna be working from home from October I don't have to go to London that's good news never get tired of hearing good news the gospel is good news we should we should never grow tired of hearing it but you know what we need to be familiar with that good news because actually it's not just good news for us to say oh that's lovely we're gonna proclaim it like I just proclaimed Seb's good news we're going to go out. We're going to proclaim this news. We need to know the story of Jesus so that we can share it with others. So, why Mark? Why have we chosen this? Four Gospels. Why Mark? Well, firstly, it's the shortest. <laughs> um, you know, modern day, short attention spans. You know, we don't want to, don't want to bore you too much. But seriously, it's a great, great account. And it's written by, we think it's written by a guy called John Mark. And John Mark was someone who was around at the very time that Jesus ministered. And he was certainly a Jewish Christian, an early convert to the faith. And he actually spent significant time with Peter and with Paul. And he actually acted as Peter's interpreter on some of his missionary work. And he went on Paul's first, what we call Paul's first missionary journey. Paul made these sort of three or four trips, taken in all sorts of different places where he established churches and ministered to them. And on the first of those trips... John Mark was with Paul. So he was a guy who's very close to the action. He knows, he knows the early church inside out. And actually, Mark's account is thought to be the earliest gospel, the one that was written first. We're looking at around 60, 65 AD. And that would have been around the time just after Peter had actually been martyred. Peter was crucified uh, upside down, if I think is, is what, what people say traditionally, um, for his faith. And John Mark had been with Peter this whole time acting as interpreter, and had seen him killed. And what was his reaction? Was it to go into hiding? Was it to disappear and think, oh, this isn't for me anymore? No, he's like, right, I've got to write everything down. Everyone needs to know this gospel that this guy's just died for. Everyone needs to know this good news about Jesus. I need to write it all down. Remember, people didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have 
I don't know, whatever the other kids are, Snapchat, yeah? A lot of blank faces out there. Um, they didn't even have, you know, a biro and a piece of A4, you know? It, it, it wasn't commonplace to write stuff down then. It took time. And so 30 years on, to get, to get an account of everything that had happened in the last 30 years, there's been so much going on. Mark decided, you know what, I need to get this down on paper because I want people to hear about it. I want people to know about it. If I don't write this down, all, that, all my knowledge of everything that's happened is going to go to waste. And he wrote it, we think, in, in Rome. And Rome was a largely Gentile place. That means a place that actually it wasn't a particularly Jewish place. Jew, Gentile is anyone who isn't a Jew. So Mark is a Jew, but he's living in a Gentile world, a place where actually people don't know the backstory of Judaism, the faith which Jesus came out of. And therefore, Mark's account is quite short and punchy because he's less concerned with the Jewish history and context that would have been interest of someone maybe living in Jerusalem. He doesn't need to go into all that backstory. He doesn't want to, to sort of distract from the, the life and the message of Jesus with all this Jewish history and context because he's trying to speak to people who aren't Jewish. They're not going to understand all that. They don't need to know all that. He just wants to tell them, this is Jesus. This is the guy I want to tell you about. And he's, he wants to present Jesus as an incredible man who has significance, not just for Jewish people, but for every single person in the world. <clears throat> and he presents this kind of down-to-earth Jesus. That's what we're, we're kind of subtitling this, this series, this down-to-earth Jesus. The story of Jesus in the book of Mark is a fast-paced, dramatic and exciting account of a man who simply changed the world, turned it upside down. From modern begin, uh, modest beginnings to meteoric rise to prominence before a brutal and undeserved death and then a re- an amazing resurrection. It's a bit like, apart from the resurrection bit, it's a bit like the story of John Lennon. Modest beginnings, a meteoric rise and a brutal undeserved ending. But unlike John Lennon, Jesus doesn't just live on through a few songs. He beat death. He rose again. And he lives today in us through the Holy Spirit. You know, Mark's gospel, I can't remember why I put that photo of Usain Bolt in. (laughs) Fast paced. Good. Thank you. (laughs) What we've got here, this is what we call a word cloud. Anyone familiar with word clouds? So you put a piece of text into a piece of software. And it will generate a word cloud based on the most repeated words. So the bigger the word on that word cloud, the more times it's repeated in the book of Mark. And it was interesting because you can see from this word cloud, actually, this is a very action-packed book. Words like some of the most used words, obviously Jesus is a big one. But things like went and came and asked and crowd and people. It's all very detailed. It's all very action-packed. Came, went, go, come. Uh, There's another word in there, immediately. Mark uses this word immediately a lot because he wants to move the action on quickly. He doesn't dwell in a story. It's story, move on, story, move on, story. It's fast-paced account, just like Usain Bolt. That's why I put that picture up there. Do you know, actually, as well, in in the book of Mark, there's 16 chapters. And in those 16 chapters, all that's covered is the three years of Jesus' ministry, three and a half years. There's no birth narrative. There's no Christmas story in the book of Mark. And actually, there's no post-resurrection appearances really in the book of Mark. It kind of cuts out at uh, the two women, Mary and Mary, uh, discovering 
discovering that Jesus had risen from the dead and running off to tell the disciples. And it actually stops. Now, there is a little extra uh, 10 or 15 verses added on, but they reckon not to have been written by John Mark himself. John Mark stopped there. He's alive. End of. <laughs> it's a very fast-paced, short account of Jesus' life. It's a bit like if you were to write a biography of John Lennon and only tell the story of 1963 to 1970, and that's it. You don't tell us where he came from. You don't tell him what he did after the Beatles. Just that, that key distilled period of fame and fortune and meteoric rise. That's, it's, 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 that's the equivalent. Just focusing on those three years, those three years when Jesus lived and died and rose again. Because that, that, to Mark, that's all anyone needs to know. This is the guy. This is what he did. And I need to tell you all about him. There's a sense that he just wants to get the word, word out quickly, efficiently, to an audience who probably had never heard or saw or seen Jesus when he lived. These are guys in Rome. That's who he's speaking to. They wouldn't have known Jesus. They wouldn't have seen him. They might have heard a little bit of hubbub about him. But he wants to tell them as much as he can, as quickly and efficiently as possible. It is a roller coaster. It's a bit like the difference between watching a brilliant, meaty box set or watching a really action-packed film. I love Band of Brothers. Have you ever seen Band of Brothers? Box set all about uh, Second World War. Absolutely brilliant. And the way they slowly... And, and carefully develop the characters and move the action along in a really methodical way. It's really deep, and it, you know, it, it's a fantastic sink your teeth into it, spend hours and hours. I watched, actually watched most of it in the first couple of weeks after George was born. He, he, would, he wouldn't go to sleep at night, so I'd sit up in the middle of the night on my paternity leave holding George and watching people killing each other. <laughs> Seemed like a good way to introduce George to the world. Um, <laughs> It's like the difference between that, and I also love Saving Private Ryan. Brilliant, brilliant war film, but it's like an hour and a half, two hours. It's, it's, it's just as powerful, just as dramatic, just as impressive a, a piece of work, but it's distilled into this epic, short, um, and there's, you know, there's less time to develop the characters, less time to go into the backstory, and just more about the action, the here and now, what's happening there. It's quick changes of scene, as I've said, these words came, went, go, come, immediately. More than the other Gospels, actually, if, if I was to show you, I haven't got time, but if I was to show you the word clouds of the other Gospels, you'll notice the difference there. You know, if you look at the Gospel of John, there's lots more wor words about God and Father and much, much more theological words because he goes into the theology, the, the backstory of who Jesus was and is. But in this book, Jesus is presented as a down-to-earth, exciting man of action, undoubtedly special, undoubtedly the Son of God, undoubtedly more than just a man. But actually in this book, it's the human side of Jesus that is emphasized. We see him living, breathing, dying as a human. We learn about his emotions. We learn about his reactions to things, his, his sadness, his sorrow, his joy. We see all of that come out. We see the human side of Jesus really brought home here. And also, there's a big focus on Jesus as the Messiah. Even though Mark is writing for a primarily Gentile audience, Mark does want to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah. And we're going to go to that in a, in a minute. If you're wondering what's a Messiah, what does that mean? We'll look at that in a minute. But as we study this book together, guys, we're going to put Jesus front and center. We're going to, we're going to examine his incredible ministry in detail. And I believe that we'll be challenged, we'll be inspired, and we'll be encouraged. And we'll be hit right between the eyes with his stories of incredible love and grace to the neediest people, all of us. 
And you know what will be challenged with pe- challenged as he confronts people just who God is and what he feels about him. And I believe we'll be humbled all over again as we come face to face with a God who is literally down to earth, who entered our pain and shared our sufferings to create the opportunity for an eternity of peace with him. So I want you to strap yourselves in. This is going to be quite a journey. We're going to jump in this morning. Um, and I've really thought about you know, modern culture and how short everyone's attention spans are these days. Um, and I'm just going to focus on one verse, the very first verse of, of, the, of uh, the book of Mark. I'm going to say to Matt and Chris, that's what I'm doing. They're like, you're so lazy. You're doing one verse. I'm like, guys, the World Cup's on. <laughs> if you think I've got time to study what more than one verse of scripture and there's like three football matches on every day, come on. No, genuinely, I'm not just being lazy. I just think, I read this verse, and I was, my intention was to do like eight, eight nine verses a day. And I, I, got, I just read that verse, and something just hit me. I was like, I think, I think God just wants to bring us something about just these words. Because they're, classically, when, you, when we read the first verse of a book, often it's an introduction, isn't it? And we quite often just skip. We're like, oh, introduction, yeah, Jesus, good, let's get into the story. But I actually want to just dwell on this verse today, because I, I think there's something that God wants to just, just seal in us today. So if you, can, if you want to turn to your books, you can. If not, just read it on the screen. It's just one verse of scripture. And it just says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you've got an NIV Bible, it will say, instead of Jesus Christ, it will say the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And I say, I often skip over lines like this in the Bible without really thinking. Because I'll be honest, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've was brought up in, in a church, really. My dad's a vicar. And to me, it's almost not news to me. Like, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah, I know that. I've, I've said that a million times in my, in my life. I, I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I know who he is. And it's, I kind of just want to you know, skip it. Let's get to the next bit. It's Jesus Christ, Son of God. That's just his name to us. It's just who he is. Not something that I often, a verse like that I would often stop and think about. I was surprised this week as I, as I prepared it. I did kind of get stuck on this verse. But remember, Mark is writing, keen to present Jesus to an audience as the Messiah. And so he doesn't, he doesn't build up to it. There's no spoiler alert here. He just hits it straight off, verse 1. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, Christ wasn't Jesus' surname. He wasn't born to Mary and Joseph Christ of Nazareth. Oh, have you heard the Christ have just had a little boy? A little boy, they called him Jesus. The word Christ is from the Greek word Christos. And that word it itself is a translation of the Jewish word, the Hebrew word, I should say, Messiah. The word Christ is a title. It's a statement. It's an announcement. It's like, instead of saying Elizabeth Windsor, you're saying Queen Elizabeth II. It's a title. Instead of saying Becky Ashworth, you're saying Dr. Ashworth. Or Dr. Cooper instead of Barry Cooper. It's a statement. This is starting a book with a bang. This is saying, I'm going to tell you all about this guy called Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. It's not just a, a throwaway introduction line. It is a huge, huge statement what does messiah mean it literally means anointed one 
anointed one. We all familiar, familiar with that word anointed, anointing? In the Jewish faith, to anoint someone was to set them apart, was to dedicate them, to declare them as holy. And you did that by pouring oil on someone to anoint someone. And they would do it to buildings, they would do it to kings, they would do it to priests and prophets. They were all people who were anointed with oil in scripture. It was a symbolic act. It was a human act, actually, but a human act to symbolize a holy calling. So, obvious example, King David. There's a very famous piece of scripture where God very specifically tells uh, the prophet Samuel. Samuel? Yeah. I want David to be the next king. Anoint him. So Samuel goes and he pours oil on David's head and anoints him as the next king. It's a human act to actually pour the oil on. But it's an act that symbolizes that God has said that this person is for him. So the Messiah was to be this person who's set apart, chosen by God, anointed. But the difference with Messiah is not someone who's going to be anointed by a human. Not someone who can have oil poured on his head and set apart like, like King David. Actually, this is a person directly anointed by God. God's specific anointed one specifically and directly chosen by God the Father himself. And even though Mark isn't read, uh, writing this for, for a Jewish audience, this was still a hugely controversial statement to say that this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Messiah. I mean, can you imagine how you, how you would be received today if you wrote I don't know, a newspaper article and declared someone was the Son of God? Can you imagine? How that would go down? Do you think people would think you were sane? If you just chose a random person in the street and said, this is the Son of God, that's the Messiah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to declare that. that you know, it's a controversial statement. And in fact, people have done that. People have declared themselves or declared other people as the Son of God. And, you know, frankly, a lot of time we think, that, we think they're a bit crazy, don't we? We think, wow, they've got, they've got a screw loose. What's going on there? This is a controversial thing to say, a powerful thing to say. It's a huge claim to make in any audience. But Mark opens with it, bang. I'm talking about Jesus, Son of God. So what is this Messiah? We know it means anointed one. Who was the Messiah? What, what, what's the significance of it? The Messiah was a figure of hope and redemption for the Jewish people. And he was promised in Old Testament prophecies uh, in Scripture. And some of the key ones, this is one of the most famous ones. This was a promise made to David. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's a promise to David that even though he's finite, even though he's going to die one day, there will be someone in the line of David, in, in the future of David's family tree, who will be this king established forever, the Messiah. God is going to put someone in David's family in the future who will be the king forever. That was a promise in the Old Testament. It was backed up by another scripture, Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 to 5. There's a promise there that after a long period without a king, that the Jewish nation would return to the king, to king David, to the family of David, that there would be another person in the line of David who would be king. It was also found in actually a lot of other Jewish writings that aren't even in our, our canon of scripture, in, in the books that we have in our Bible. There's various other writings which talk about this promised Messiah. <clears throat> but Okay, so there's going to be someone. There's going to be someone in the line of David, a king, a forever king. But 
what about them? What are they going to do? What, what's it mean? Well, there's lots more prophecies in the Old Testament, just a few of them. Isaiah 7, 14 says that this king is going to be born of a virgin. And so we know the famous story, uh, uh, the Christmas story, Jesus being born to Mary, who was a virgin. Isaiah 53 says very clearly that the Messiah was someone who was going to suffer and die to atone for sin. Really important. This was prophesied a long time before Jesus. There is going to be Messiah. It's going to be Messiah who suffers. Messiah who, who ends up dying to help people with sin. Zechariah 12.10 even says Israel will mourn as the Messiah is pierced before he actually reigns. So there's going to be a king. And before he gets to be on the throne, he's going to suffer. He's going to be pierced. And we know the story of Jesus. We'll come to it hopefully later in the book. He was pierced. He had a spear thrust into his side by a Roman soldier to prove that he was actually dead. And the prophet Micah as well, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. He says the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And that his reign will extend beyond, uh, to the ends of the earth. So not, he wasn't just going to be the king of Jerusalem. He wasn't just going to be king in Bethlehem. He's going to be the king of all the earth. So actually, this Messiah was someone who was firmly rooted in Scripture. And for the Jews at the time that Jesus came along, the Messiah was a hugely anticipated figure. He was going to be their saviour. But somehow, the message of who this Messiah was going to be had become tangled. Even though Scripture very clearly talked about him being a suffering servant, very clearly talked about him being someone who would die before he was on the throne. Somehow the Jews had gotten themselves to such a stage in their, in their existence that they were expecting someone a bit different. Somehow the saviour they were expecting was something more like this. A soldier on a horse, a king riding to glory, leading his army in battle. Someone who was going to conquer the suffering that they were in. Remember, the Jewish people at the time of Jesus were living under occupation. Jerusalem was ruled by the Roman Empire, a bloodthirsty empire, a controlling empire, an enslaving empire. Life as a Jew, when Jesus came along, was not a happy time. And so, somehow this Messiah that they had hoped for wasn't so much a suffering servant, but he was some sort of amazing warrior who was going to come and liberate them. He was going to free them from this captivity. He was going to beat the Romans. Somehow, the Messiah had become more like a brave heart to the Jews. He was going to be this warrior who came and just shouted, freedom! And liberated from the Jews as a warrior, as a fighter. That's who they saw this Messiah was going to be. He was going to turn the world upside down, heroically liberate Israel from the control of the Romans, and establish, re-establish Israel as a dominant power in the world. The Messiah, the future king, the forever king, was someone to whom all earthly powers would submit one day. He would end war and bring peace, but only after he vanquished Israel's enemies and re-established that nation as the top dog. The Jewish people at a time were people living in pain, a people who needed hope. And so the Messiah was this eagerly and impatiently awaited person. 
the Messiah they wanted and dreamed of was a knight in shining armor, a warrior king. But actually, by the time Mark has got around, John Mark has got around to writing this book, the early church knew very, very different. They understood that Jesus was not just a figure who was going to come and win a battle for the Jewish people. This Jesus was not just a Jewish Messiah. He's the saviour of the world. The saviour of the whole world. And remember, Peter and Paul, both of whom John Mark had spent lots of time with, had been instrumental in taking the gospel beyond the Jewish people. They started in Jerusalem, and then they went to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even to Rome, where, where John Mark is now. And even though Peter is dead now, John Mark wants to make sure this message of not just the Jewish Messiah, but the world Messiah. He wants to make sure it goes loud and clear. And so he launches it with the bombshell. Jesus Christ. This, this book is all about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. He can't wait to tell us what this Messiah was like. And do you know what? This Messiah is so much more amazing than the one that the Jews imagined. You know, he didn't liberate Jews from the Romans. In fact, shockingly, he was put to death by the Romans himself. He didn't come on a war horse and kill a load of people and liberate his people. Because actually, that wasn't their problem. Jesus came to liberate not just the Jews, but all of mankind from something far more oppressive from something far more dangerous, from something far more worrying than the Roman Empire. He came to liberate all of mankind from our sin. This Messiah came to tackle the greatest problem in the world, the problem of our separation from God, a problem that is caused by our sinliness, a problem that is called by our caused by our rebellion. He came to fix our greatest need. That was more important than winning a battle against the Roman Empire. It was more important than seeing the, king, the nation of Israel established as a superpower. The most important thing was to pay the price for our sin so that we can be one with God again. He didn't come wielding a sword. He came dealing in love. Even love for sinners. Even love for the most outcast people in society. For prostitutes. For tax collectors who rip people off. For people who committed all sorts of sins and atrocities. Jesus didn't come with a sword. He came with love, forgiveness and grace. He wasn't a rich warrior king with all the trappings of power. He didn't spend his time on earth hobnobbing with the high and mighty, being seen in all the most important places, spending time with the rich and ignoring the poor. He was a humble carpenter's son who spent his time with the lowliest and most vulnerable people in society. He healed the sick. He touched the lepers. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He gave new legs to cripples. And he forgave the sinful. 
and it communicated the love of God in a new, most powerful way that had never been heard before. He didn't come to sit on an earthly throne, to sit on a pedestal, to be seated high above everyone else, to show how high and mighty he was. He didn't come to live in, in a palace and be attended to and served by all sorts of servants. He came to serve. He came to be a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. And that, that famous story, wash his disciples' feet, it's incredible because, because to understand just how dirty these feet would have been, you know, roads in Jerusalem were not pretty. There wasn't tarmac out there. It was dust, it was stones, it was sewage. And yet Jesus said, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you. Jesus did suffer. And he did suffer at the hands of being an oppressed Israelite under Roman rule. But do you know what? That's not why he suffered. He didn't, he didn't suffer because the Romans were bad people and wanted him dead. He suffered voluntarily. And he suffered for us. We're the reason he suffered. He suffered for our sins. The sins of the world. God saw that the relationship between him and his chosen and loved people, the people he created, every one of us, was broken. Our sin gets in the way of that relationship. And Jesus suffered and died to pay up the penalty for our sin and restore us to God. He took the punishment that we deserved for our selfishness, for our sin, for our anger, for our greed, our lies, our unfaithfulness. Everything, our prejudice, everything that we've ever done wrong, everything that puts a wedge between us and God the Father, everything that we deserve to be punished for, Jesus died for that. He didn't die because the Romans oppressed him. He died for that. And so over the next 16 chapters, the next however many weeks it takes to get through, Mark, John Mark rattles through as much as he possibly can cram in of what Jesus did and said. Like a good essay or dissertation, he starts with a, a big statement and then sets to work back in that statement or with evidence after evidence after evidence. So he starts and says, this is Jesus. He's the Messiah, he's the Son of God. And I'm going to spend 16 chapters proving it to you. This is how I know this is the Son of God. He did this, he did this, he did this, he did this, he did this. <laughs> evidence after evidence after evidence. And it's a roller coaster ride, and it's an amazing story. And I believe we're going to be so blessed as we read it together. And then, at the crescendo of the story, there will be a painful death. An unimaginably brutal execution. But one that was willingly suffered by the hero, the unlikely hero of the story, suffering servant. Mark is going to present to us a down-to-earth king who loved his people so much that he laid his life down for them. Freedom Church, this is your Messiah. This is your king. The down-to-earth God-man. The king of all kings. And I'm so looking forward sharing this journey with you, to examining this incredible life in detail. And you know what? Our prayer for this series is simply these two things. 
One, that we will fall even more in love with him. That we will know this Jesus even more deeply than we do because there's always more of him to know. Always more of him to love. And I pray that as we go through this series, we will just be struck again by his love. And also, do you know what? The other goal is this, that studying his life will make us even more motivated to share that life with others. Because we are a church on a mission. We are a church commissioned by Jesus to go and tell the, good, the world the good news, the gospel. And as we study Jesus, I believe we're going to get so excited and so filled up and so stirred again by who he is and what he's done that we will just simply have to tell the rest of the world. So there we have it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Will you stand with me? I just want to worship.